Our scripture lesson today is taken from the third chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, verses 1 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he's put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there's nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already is. And God seeks out what has gone by. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, teach me, Lord, that I may teach the precious things thou dost impart, and wing my words that they may reach the hidden depths of many a heart. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So we do know the words to Ecclesiastes from turn, turn, turn that was recorded in 1965 by the birds, but it was actually written several years prior to that by Pete Seeger, who took the King James Version of the Bible, the words of Ecclesiastes as we have them, and added to them only the phrase turn, 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 and I'll swear it's not too late after the last phrase a time for peace. Now, in addition to the birds, since 1963, this song has been recorded by initially the Line Lighters. I'd never heard of them. But Judy Collins, Marlene Dietrich, Gary Sherston, Dolly Parton, Bruce Springsteen, Emmylou Harris and Ricky Skaggs, and Carl Ruslatin in 2015. And these words have made their way into the soundtrack for movies and television shows as diverse as Forrest Gump, The Wonder Years, The Simpsons, and 
cold case. I'll tell you, if you come to Westminster, you get a lot of exegetical background on biblical texts. <laughs> and thanks to this thing called Wikipedia, you get a lot of background on popular uh, culture. It just usually doesn't come from me. <laughs> but to apply this same degree of background to Ecclesiastes, let's hear its lyrics again. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what has been planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Scholars point out that this poetic section of our passage consists of seven couplets, two lines each, one sharp contrast of opposites in each line. Thus, there are 14 contrasts of 28 human experiences in this poem. Psychologically and spiritually, the rhythm of these 14 lines carries us along as if we are floating down a river or riding a cloud to heaven. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. This poetic section never mentions God, yet it provides a sense of rhythmic order to the universe an order that comforts us with its predictability and return, a comfort and an order for which we are inclined to credit God. These words reach deep within us and draw from us as from a well our sense that God has set up the universe, that God watches over it, and our subsequent trust, our subsequent trust that the sun will rise and the sun will set, that we will awaken and we will sleep, that our children will breathe in and they will breathe out, and that when we return home after work, our dog will greet us wagging her tail. 
even when these good things do not happen as we expect, and when our world gets shattered, we are usually able over time to get to a place where we can say, however haltingly, the world goes on in its grand and beautiful rhythm, and we are blessed to be part of it. Yet within this larger passage, beyond the poetic section, the prose section that follows the poetry provides a slightly different feel. Here are portions of it again. What gain have the workers from their toil? I've seen the business that God has given everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he's put a sense of past and present into their minds. Yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there's nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it's God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before God. In this prose section, God, unlike in the poetic session, in the prose section, God is mentioned eight times. And in most of these mentions, God is doing something. God has given everyone business to be busy with. God has made everything suitable for its time. God has put a sense of past and future into our minds, a sense of eternity. Though we cannot find out what God has done from eternity, nor can we know the mind of God, it is God's gift that we should eat and drink and take pleasure in our toil, and that we should stand in awe of God. I believe this combination of poetry and prose, of rhythm and proposition, provides us with sound teaching about life under God as we begin, once again, at least according to the human calendar, a year that is new. So I ask you to follow me along. First, this passage reminds us that at least this side of heaven, within the rhythms of life, much of what makes our individual experiences good or bad is their timing. While virtually all births are indeed beautiful, some are better timed and occur in better circumstances more amenable to life and health than others. By contrast, while virtually every death leaves mourners in its wake, and while some deaths are never good, timing bestows upon many deaths a certain dignity and beauty. Not all breaking down is good, but there is a time when some breaking down is necessary, some destruction creative to pave the way for a building up. There are times in which weeping heals, but there are other times in which weeping disables. There are times when laughing is appropriate, 
But there are other times that even laughing is out of place. And there are times when laughing is hurtful. The prose section says God has made everything suitable for its time, but not suitable for all times. Second, this, past, this passage teaches us that God places on us the primary responsibility for determining what action is appropriate to take at a particular time, what action is to be taken in a given situation that renders that action good. The wise mind will know the time and the way, Ecclesiastes says later, for every matter, every matter has its time and way. In my preaching this past fall, I've emphasized how much trust God places in us as humans to decide what is right and wrong, to determine the appropriate timing of things. This trust is represented by the fact that God himself became human, something we are still in the midst of celebrating in this season of Christmas. As I quoted Marilyn Robinson, if Christ is truly human and truly God, Christ is the profoundest praise of humankind the cosmos has to offer. A reality central to our Christian belief in the Incarnation is that God has given us mind and heart and will and ability to decide the appropriate time for every human action we take. Such is part of God's trust in us. Such is part of God's affirmation of us in both creating us and redeeming us through becoming one of us. As our call to worship today intones, you have made human beings a little lower than God and you have crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. The wise mind will know the time and the way. For every matter has its time and way. Yet third, while God has entrusted us to determine the right time for a given action, our capacity to know such times in any ultimate sense is limited. We simply do not know everything. As the prose section of the passage says, God has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, God has planted within our minds and hearts a sense that some things transcend our immediate world and our experience. Even as we exercise our judgments in time, God has not given us the capacity to know everything. This means, fourth, that as we live in this world and make decisions about timing, we should enjoy ourselves as long as we live and remember that it is God's gift that we should eat and drink and take pleasure in our toil. As you know, I'm not much on preaching oughts or shoulds, nor on religion that seems to be reduced to these imperatives. 
But I've got to say it's a pretty neat experience as a preacher to stand up here on the first day of the year and be able to say we should enjoy ourselves as long as we live. We should take pleasure in eating and drinking. We should take pleasure in our work, our effort, our toil, our vocation, our artisanship, and our service. In a recent blog, Rabbi Jack Moline, a friend of this congregation and a friend of mine, wrote, I keep a kosher diet, meaning I eat less meat than the opportunity presents. But give me a choice between haute cuisine consisting of the green herbs presented in Genesis and a simple pastrami sandwich. And nine times out of ten, my only question will be, what kind of mustard do you have? This is a good kind of should, and it comes from Ecclesiastes, from the book we call the Bible, right from the Testament we call Old. We should eat and drink and take pleasure in our toil. Who knew? There's a final phrase in the prose section with which I want to close. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before God. I think I was one of the last generations of Presbyterian children to memorize the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Those like me who learned this catechism undoubtedly remember the first question, what is the chief end of man? The answer Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Glorify and enjoy. God has done this so that all may stand in awe before God. So to summarize the passage... Within the rhythms of life, what often makes our individual experiences good or bad is their timing. God places on us the primary responsibility for determining the appropriate action for a particular time. While God has entrusted us to determine the right time for a given action, our capacity to know such times in any ultimate sense is limited. As we live in this world and make decisions about timing, we should enjoy ourselves as long as we live and remember that it's God's good gift that we should eat and drink and take pleasure in our toil. And in all of this, we are to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Happy New Year.